0: Ashley E. Brock, reading Laura Griffin's book, Shadowfall, Chapter 10. Tara, staked staked by the door, staring at Brandon's back. The M4 cradled in her hands. Her heart pounded, and her throat felt dry as she waited Alpha, you're go. The commander's voice came over the radio, followed by a deafening boom as the battering ram hit wood. Then they were pouring in, storming the apartment in a thunder of boots and flashbangs. People screaming, running, diving to the floor. The room smelled of pot and fear. She sidestepped the chaos and scanned for her objective, quickly finding it behind, beyond the tangle of obscenity-spewing bodies being cuffed on the ground. North hallway, she told Brannon, making a dash for it. One door left, two right, and a lone gray door at the end that pulled her like a magnet. Dead bolts, she tossed a look over her shoulder. "Want well, me too. I got it, she said, blasting it with a kick. The door bowed, ba- bowed but didn't break. Here, let me. No, she backed up and flew at it again. Stomping so hard the force rocked up her leg as the door burst open and smacked against the wall with a boom Tara rushed inside Brandon behind her the room was dark and the stench hit Sweat and urine and other foul odors. The floor was a sea of cushions and sleeping pallets Russian Brandon darted across the room and through a door that stood your check this out Tara was sca- still scanning the blankets for any sign of life But the room was empty, and her stomach nodded with fear as she followed Brannon through the doorway. She knew the room from the videos, every detail, down to the wrought iron bed and faded black comforter. The bed was empty now, the entire room empty. Her gaze went to the scarred wooden dresser where a frozen yogurt cup had once been. Now it was gone. A glint on the floor caught her eye, something peeking from under the bed. She dropped to her knees and pulled out a secret pink flip-flop a child's son of a fucking bitch hey brandon's gaze snapped hers. you hear that she listened turned behind a floor-to-ceiling curtain over what she assumed was a window there was actually a door cover me brandon said pushing it open thin white legs bare feet a mop of brown hair it was a girl maybe four four hurtled beneath the sink Terra rushed over, making soft shushing noises she didn't recognize, a nonverbal soothing that seemed to spring from inside her. "'It's all right,' she slung her gun to her back and crouched beside the girl. Brandon switched on the light, and Tara saw the glimmer of metal draggling, dangling from the pipe beneath the sink. The handcuff was attached, the tiny wrist rubbed raw. "'Find a key!' she ordered, and Brandon disappeared, leaving her alone with the child. Mattered hair, dirty cheeks... Her wide, dark eyes made Tara's heart pinch. It's okay now. Tara reached for the girl, but she cowered back. It's okay. You're safe. We're going to get you out now, okay? More squirming and pulling. In her flak, ja- flak jacket and helmet, she must look terrifying. Tara pulled off her helmet and prayed the social worker would get her ass over here. Then she gr- grabbed the towel off a hook on the wall and wrapped it around the quivering shoulders. Tara glanced back at the empty bedroom. She memorized every detail down to the stains in the sheetrock. She looked at the cowering girl, cowering girl. The, o- the others. She said softly, "Do you know where they are?" He said, "Don't talk. It's okay now. You can talk to me. Do you know where the others went?" She nodded slowly. Tara's stomach filled with dread. Where are they? You can tell me. Where are all the other girls? Tara jerked upright, heart pounding. She stared into the darkness. She glanced around at the clock, the TV, the stripe of gray seeping through the curtains. Another hotel room. This one was in Austin. She brushed her hair from her face. Her t-shirt was soaked with sweat. She peeled the sheets away and walked into the bathroom, still disoriented, as she groped around for a light switch. She blinked at a reflection in the mirror. Damn! Her skin was pale. Her eyes bloodshot. The fluorescent light didn't do her any favors. Ditto the lack of sleep and the endless workdays, strung together week after week until it was all blur. The most important thing, the life and death thing, his focus. Liam's word echoed through her head, like an inde- indignant. When was the last time she focused on anything? She stared at the mirror, straining to think objectively. Hang on, I lost my place. Before the raid, that had to be it. Days before the raid, her focus had been razor sharp. It was that utter focus that had allowed her to spot the yogurt cup in the back of a sex video. A small paper cup that she traced to a yogurt shop had broken the case wide open. But that was days ago, almost a week, and now she was running on fumes. She thought of Liam's eyes last night, so dark and observant. Why SWAT? She told him but only part of it. Yes, she joined because she was determined to avoid being pick-holded. Law enforcement was a boys' club. And in that sense, the Bureau was no different from thousands of station houses across the country. Change was coming but at a glacial pace. People had to retire and die, taking their crusty attitudes with them to the grave. She hadn't told him the full story, the emotional part. She hadn't told him the... Him, The team was her lifeline. She needed it. Beyond the harsh and sometimes brutal camaraderie, she needed the raw physical release. She needed to storm through those doors and stare into those faces and slap bracelets on those people who hurt people. It was her outlet, her antidote for the feelings of impotence that could swallow her. For that creepy sense of being invisible to all but the most calculating eyes, it was her way of slapping back usually, but last week's raid had slapped back at her. She had no one to blame but herself. She should have seen it coming. Tara glared her reflection. Get over it. She had a job to do, and it deserved her full attention. And that, at least, she knew Liam was right. She reached into the shower and set the water to scolding. She stripped out of her tank and panties and stepped into the hot spray just as her phone chimed from across the room. Cursing, she snagged a towel and rushed to catch the call. MJ. It's 6.32, Tara snapped. Are you in Austin? Yes. Where's Liam? At the moment, no idea, she said. But he was here last night. Why? We need you back here ASAP, Tara. Don't tell me. We've got another one. The forest was damp and cold. Terror's breath frosted in front of her as she slid from the car. She scanned the crime scene, marked off with yellow tape. She saw sheriff's deputies, but no sheriff. And Kelsey Quinn's fiery hair stood out against the dull gray tree trunks. The forensic anthropologist knelt on the forest floor, scraping at something with a small tool. The area around her was surrounded by metal stakes and coordinated off with blue twine. Kelsey glanced up and climbed her feet. You made it, she said, dusting her gloved hands on her jeans. Her knees was black with dirt. Agent Martinez must have called you. She did, Terry said. Is she around? I think she's with the sheriff. I'm surprised he notified you. He didn't. The coroner called, Kelsey said. Cypress County's second skeleton in six months. I definitely think he's feeling in over his head. Anyway, I'm glad he notified me this time. I like to see the remains in place. Tara looked down at the excavation site, which had been neatly subdivided into a grid of one-by-one-foot squares. Gray stick-like objects protruded from the soil. They didn't even look like bones, really. Who reported this, Tara asked. Anonymous. Tara raised her eyebrows. If I had to guess, I'd say hunters. Why's that? Kelsey took the tool into her pocket. Deer season ended a week ago. Could be they were torn between civic duty and wanting to avoid being hit with a fine by the game warden. She tugged her gloves off. Let me show you what we have. She walked away from the grid to a separate area on the other side of the clearing. This is private property? Tara asked, looking around uneasily. They were only a few miles from Liam's ranch. Belongs to a timber company out of Louisiana, I'm told. Here. Have a look. Kelsey gestured to a smaller site designed with orange twine. Designated with orange twine. Leaves have been cleared, and Terra noted, noted the scoop-shaped depression in the soil. The skull? Tara asked. That's right. Tara glanced over her shoulder. Is it unusual to find it so apart from everything else? That happens a lot, Kelsey said, mostly due to scavengers, particularly when remains are buried in a shallow grave or not buried at all. To make matters worse, we had a flood here not long ago, as I told you back at the lab. So anything could have scattered the bones. Scavengers, people, Mother Nature. Where is it now? The skull? I've got it boxed already. Don't worry, it's been tagged and photographed. We're extremely thorough, I can assure you. And uh, any obvious cause of this? No bullet holes, slugs or wind. Lead pipe? Lead pipe? Metallic deposits left in bone when a bullet penetrates. Of course, I'm just getting started, so there's still time. Kelsey rubbed her forehead with the back of her sleeve. Despite the cold, she looked flushed. Haunting over a gravesite was obviously hard work. And gender, Tara asked? Undetermined. Although based on a ring discovered with the hand bones, I'd cast female. I'll have the big four by tomorrow, along with post interval and possible cause of death. Kelsey made ter- met Tara's gaze. If it turns out this is related to Catalina Rains and R. Jane Doe, then that's three victims. Tara understood the implication. That made connecting murders, murderers indicated a serial killer. Kelsey peered around Tara and muttered a curse. Tara turned to see Jason crouched inside the blue grid. Deputy, I need your boots out of that excavation site, Kelsey commanded. Nobody's allowed in there besides me and my staff. Jason stood up, scowling, took his time glancing around, and then wandered back to the CSI van where law enforcement types were milling around. Unbelievable! Kelsey shook her head. How long do you think the recovery will take? She glanced at her watch. Hard to say. The canine unit's still fishing, finishing up. Assuming we don't have any secondary sites, I'd say five or six hours. Terrible shock. Even with our evidence response team, they should be here any minute. I know, but it's slow going. An excavation like this requires small wooden instruments and animal hairbrushes to avoid making marking up the bones. That takes time, and every scoop of dirt has to be shipped for evidence. A wad of chewing gum or a fingernail or a scrape of duct tape could contain vital DNA evidence. She nodded at the tent, where several workers in Delphi Center jackets knelt beside a shifter. We have to go through everything a thimble at a time. What can I do to help? You've called your ERT people, so that helps a lot. I assume they're trained in body recovery. They are? Hey, Kelsey strode past her. Did you just spit near the gravesite? She talked right up to Jason, who was hovering over the shifters now. Huh? Step away from my shifters, sir. That's a restricted area. His cheeks I'm deputy sheriff in this county. I don't care who you are. If you're contaminating my crime scene again, I'll have you permanently removed. Jason stormed off just as Tara heard a whistle from the woods. She turned to see a stocky young man walking over with a German shepherd. Something you need to see, Doc. He glanced at Tara and she introduced herself. Kelsey walked over. Peach is alert on something. About a quarter mile in, he said, follow me. He led them back across the clearing and into the woods. A layer of pine needles covered the loomy soil, making it impossible to see footprints. The deeper into the woods, the darker and dankier the surrounding air. The dog handler held a branch back so it wouldn't snap terror in the face. Watch your step here, he said. It gets steep. Peaches led the expedition, confidently picking her way down an incline into a hollow littered with fallen trees and branches. She stopped beside a rotting log and thumped her tail on the ground. Down here, the handler said, peeling away a tangle of vines with his gloved hands. Kelsey crouched beside him and took a look, then rubbed the dog's nose. She's good, isn't she? The best. Tara looked over Kelsey's shoulder to see a slender gray bone peeking out from the leaves. Is it human? Looks like it's me. Let's say radius. Kelsey looked at Tara, an arm bone. I'll examine the osteon pattern back at the lab to confirm. She dug a magnifying glass from her pocket, and studied the specimen. Slight scratches. They look postmortem. So my guess is they were caused by scavengers, possibly a raccoon or a coyote. I need to be. I need. I need to photograph it like this before we do anything. They stood up, and the solemn look on Kelsey's face gave Tara a sinking feeling. Looks like we're dealing with a serial killer, Kelsey said. But how do you know Scavengers didn't drag this over from the other gravesite? Because, Kelsey nodded at the clear, that victim's arms are intact. This phone belongs to someone else. Tara returned to her room at Big Pines, practically drunk with exhaustion. Her her shoulders ached. Her knees burned. Even her arm hurt as she reached to switch on the lamp. She dumped everything onto the bed. Phone, food, jacket, plus the map she picked up at the convenience store. Feeling faint from hunger, she sank onto the mattress and tore into her Snickers bar, but quickly discovered she barely had the energy to chew. She was wa- wasted, both physically and mentally, and she knew sleep would be fitful tonight. Again. Last night she drifted off thinking of Liam. She thought about his mouth and his taste and the warm slide of his hands. The buzz of it all had given her a A few solid hours, but sometime around sunrise the ready to come back just in time to wring her out emotionally before the start of the day. The dreams would be different tonight. After spending hours hunched over the shifting screen, she knew tonight's visions would be about scoops of earth and musty smells and pitiful shards of human bone. The familiar anger was back again, pulling up her chest. She thought of those women murdered and dumped in the woods. What had their final moments been like? Had they run or fought or begged for their lives? Tara believed so. It was something she knew. She closed her eyes as the anger expanded, making her chest tighten and her hands clenched in the fist. Honey, one day you're going to snap in too, her grandmother used to say. Some days Tara felt like she would, like she could physically shatter from the emotion she kept locked inside. She hated the powerlessness, the feeling of weakness always lurking beneath the surface, making her confidence seem phony, making her feel like a fraud. Other people in her profession went about the world of life so nonchalantly, and their ease had always felt alien to her. It made her feel estranged from everyone else. How could people see what they saw, especially social workers and beat cops who saw everything, and not be consumed with anger all the time? How did they do it? Tara took a deep breath. She tried to manage the stress. Mostly, she did okay. She was no shrink, but she had a minor in psychology, and she wasn't an idiot. An idiot. She knew she needed outlets in order to keep on an even keel, which was what, which was important for SWAT. Double standards abounded in law enforcement, and where else a man in her office could lose his temper and everyone would shrug it off? If a woman did, she was labeled a bitch or worse, a headcase. Typically, she blew off steam by jogging or working out or doing some target practice. Nothing released tension better than burning a few mags on the pistol range. The force force recoiling through her arms was a sort of release, and at the end of the session, she'd feel okay. Sparring worked, too. Going a few rounds with one of her SWAT teammates, landing a few solid kicks, and they were all... And there was always sex. Well, not always. Certainly not lately, which was part of the problem. She hadn't had time for shooting or sparring or anything she did to relieve tension. And it was building inside of her as the marathon work weeks continued. Tara twisted the top off her drink and looked at her phone on the bed. Maybe she should call Liam to get her mind off everything. Was he back in town yet? Already stayed an extra night in Austin with the blonde, Ashley Sombers. Tara looked up the address. Liam was a player, apparently. He told her he didn't sleep with clients, but ex-clients seemed to be fair game. So had he slept with Catalina Rains? If he had, did it matter? What mattered most to Tara was that she still didn't believe she'd gotten a straight answer about his relationship to a murder victim. Tara felt the sugar kicking in, and her energy perked up. She took a long, fizzy swig of coke, then turned her attention to the map. I'm forwarding it on the bed. An idea had been forming during her drive home, like vapor gathering into a cloud. Two bodies, both deposited on private land owned by Louisiana Timber Company and leased to hunters. Land where Kelsey Quinn suspected poachers had stumbled upon a human skull and then phoned in an anonymous tip. After examining the map for a few minutes, Tara called MJ. "'Where are you?' Tara asked Glanson at the clock. It was after ten. "'Still at the sheriff's office in Cyprus. Anything there?' MJ said, not a lot. We've got the security tapes from the timber company, but they only keep two weeks worth of history. Tara figured that might be an issue when she saw the low-budget surveillance camera mounted on the trailer that the timber company used as an office. Anyway, traffic is lighty there these days according to the property manager, MJ reported. The track's 1,500 acres, but they did a big timber cut last year, so right now that land's just sitting and all their equipment's tied up in the neighboring county. According to the timber company, the only people in and out have been some foresters inspecting the trees. Plus the hunters, they Yeah, I asked about that, MJ said. They tell me the people who, with deer leases, come and go through the north access road. They've got a code for the gate there. We need a list of those leaseholders. I know, Tara. Ingram's working on it. Sorry. She pinched the murder of her nose. I'm just tired. That's because you shifted dirt all day. Get some rest, okay? I'll finish here and we'll catch up in the morning. Tara hung up and studied the map again, paying special attention to the layout of the roads and forests and access routes. She thought of the fire she'd in Silver Springs. Timber was a big business, and local fire departments were in charge of protecting it. Tara examined the roads and rivers in relation to where the victims' bodies had been found. Four victims discovered in three short months. Tara gazed at the map as her idea crystallized. Screw it, she said. Pitching her candy bar into the trash and grabbing her keys, she wouldn't sleep well anyway. She took the highway leading east from town and then retraced her path through the twisty back roads. Towering pines rose on either side. The road leading to the timber company's land was narrow and poorly marked, and Tara almost missed the weathered wooden sign, Corrin Timber Right Two Miles. Tara turned and followed the unfamiliar route along the north edge of the property. She drove and drove through woods, checking the map in her lap frequently. She almost given up finding it when she dipped over a low-water crossing with a rain gauge tacked to a post. She veered left and a turn-off came into view. She looked her right and saw the sign for the fr- firebreak. Score! She tossed the map aside and pulled onto a wide shoulder, careful to avoid any falling logs. She got out, leaving her headlights on to guide her. For a moment, she stood beside her door and simply looked around, taking in the scene. It was eerily quiet. No din of emergency vehicles and first responders. Not so much as a barn owl to break the silence. Only a faint rustle of branches as wind whispered through the forest. Tara took out her flashlight and swept it around. She was surrounded by trees, completely hemmed in, a, in except for the narrow road behind her and the wide swath of emptiness directly behind the gate. The fire break, a sign hooked to the barrier, said Cypress County Fire Di- District, no trespassing. The air was misty, and the light of her headlights shimmered off tiny droplets of moisture as she approached the gate. She aimed her flashlight at the sturdy metal arm stretching across the gape in the fencing. A rusty brown chain dragged on the ground. No lock. Tara's breath caught. The gate was closed, but not secure. Someone had removed the padlock. Just just as she suspected, the fire chief had found a disc guarded padlock at the crime scene in Silver Springs. What about this crime scene? She glanced around, pulse-thrumming. She wished she'd thought to ask Alex Sears precisely where he found the padlock. Tara neared the gate, moving her flashlight over the area. she parked her cart at a different angle, she'd been able to see better, but she was too excited now and... Now... To go back and move it, she eased, aside, she eased inside the gate and aimed her beam at the ground, illuminating pine needles and other natural debris, but no discarded padlock, possibly bearing a killer's fingerprints or DNA. She recovered a lock. At the very least, they might be able to match the tool marks. Matching tool marks could link the crime scene to the one down in Silver Springs. It was a long shot, but she had to look. Terra moved farther into the forest and combed her light around over the ground. Tonight she was on the lookout for snakes and spiders and animal traps, ready to bite. But she only saw dirt and leaves. Come on she muttered. She was on to something. She could feel it. For a moment she turned off her flashlight and simply stood there listening. The darkness seemed alive now. A breathing creature. Terra's pulse sped up. Focus Think like the killer. She closed her eyes for a few moments, then she walked back to the gate and eased through the opening, careful not to touch the metal. She stood beside the chain and imagined cutting the padlock with a heavy pair of bolt cutters. She imagined removing the lock from the chain as the victim lay dead or dying in a nearby vehicle. She tried to imagine what he'd be thinking and feeling as moment by moment his carefully crafted fantasy became real. He'd be amped up sexually harassed he'd be nervous too maybe even nervous enough to do something stupid like nick his hand on something sharp or forget to wear gloves he'd get the lock off then glance anxiously over his shoulder then he'd either pocket the ruined padlock or fling it away so he could undo the chain Roughly 80% of people were right-handed, including Tara. She scanned the ground until she spotted a rock. She picked it up and made what felt like a natural throw in a clump of bushes. The rock thumped against the ground, and she followed it into the bush with her flashlight. No padlock nearby. She glanced round, poking through foliage. She pushed through branches, snagging her weatherproof jacket on thorns. She moved around, searching for metal. She dropped into a crouch, sweeping her flashlight around and peering under falling logs. Months had elip- elapsed since the victims had br- had been brought here. Even if the lock had been left behind, it could be hiding beneath leaves or even inches of dirt. It could have been swept away in a downpour or. Cur- Cautiously removed by the killer himself Tara stood frustrated. She walked to the clearing where a good 50 feet of forest had been removed to create a challenge For all but the most determined forest fires. She moved her light along the ground again She walked to the other side of the firebreak where the land dropped down into a ravine and the pines gave way to a thicket of oaks sycamores and scrub brush At the base of a tree, a glint of silver, she rushed over She crouched down and gently picked a leaf away to reveal a rusted, spotted padlock. Shiny new gouges marked the place where a heavy-duty tool had chomped through a meadow. No way, she murmured, hardly believing it. Then her disbelief was crowded out by the joy of being right about something, of following a wild hunch that panned out. Practically skipping with excitement, she rushed back to the Explorer and grabbed some items from her evidence kit. As she returned to the site, she pulled out her phone. For a second, she hesitated. Maybe she should wait for CSI. But what if something happened in the meantime? What if between now and tomorrow morning, the lock got moved somehow, either by a person or a force of nature, like the cigarette butt she'd seen in the crime scene video? She couldn't risk it. She went to work documenting the scene with her phone's camera, taking pictures of the lock in the tree from every angle. Then she crouched down and brushed all the leaves away and used a twig to dislodge the mangled lock from the soil. Carefully, she deposited the lock in a paper evidence bag and stood up. She tucked the bag into her pocket and looked around. Now she needed photos of the chain on the gate. She should she remove that now, too, or come back tomorrow? Her fill kit didn't include a bag large enough to hold it, and anyway, it was heavy. She could come back with a cardboard box and a better camera to document the entire scene. Crack! She dropped to the ground, hitting her chin with a tooth rattling smack. Her ears rang as her brand identified the sound gone end of chapter 10